2: Hey everybody, welcome into an all new episode of the Can We Police Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon.
3: And I'm Nick Saveri.
2: On the program today, two big stories over the last few days have dominated the headlines, both involving graphic and disturbing video and audio. Nick and I on the Memphis Police Department beating and arrest of Tyree Nichols and what comes next for these officers that were arrested in a little bit. Maryland Prince George County Detective uh, Officer Benson is going to be joining us to examine everything that happened with respect to the Tyree Nichols incident. Later on in the program, the other shocking video of the week, the body cam footage release of the assault on former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, in San Francisco, Nick and I, with some takes on that case. And spoiler alert, Jesse Waters, Sean Hannity, you may want to listen up to that next segment. More on that in a bit. Um, Nick, you can kind of hear a little bit in my voice. I... I'm really down about this one, man. Um, this incident, you know, you know how you and I like to start these shows and people that listen to us, you know, what what what's going on? It's very household, you sick, flu game, blah, blah, blah. Raiders stink, we're watching the NFL. But man, when I watched that video the other day, um, we're going to get into it in our first segment, but there's been a lot of people saying, don't watch it, don't do this, to each his own. But well, man, nothing nothing has changed in this country, man. Nothing has changed. It, this is not an R&D thing. And the, and the best way to prove that to you folks, Representative Jim Jordan, Representative Jim Jordan, who Nick and I diametrically oppose and don't probably agree with anything he has to say with respect to policy that he would introduce, legislation-wise, said something that I, I want to echo here. He said, I don't know what laws will change the behavior we saw on that video? Because that was horrific. I'm paraphrasing. He literally said that and I was like, broken clock, right? Twice a day. But he's right. I don't know what changes from this point. And we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. We're going to play the audio from the body cam. I want to give people a warning. It is very disturbing to hear what you're going to hear on the audio. If you haven't heard this, some of the quotes from tyree's mom um but nick first your overall you know how you doing but um just some high level stuff when you saw this i still don't know if you've actually seen the video or not but just just give me some of your overall impressions before we get into the segment
3: you know i watched a little bit of it um you know honestly since since the murder of eric garner back in i think 2014 um I haven't watched a lot of videos like that. Um, I did watch. I, I do remember, although uh, seeing the, the shooting of Tamir Rice you know, by the Cleveland Police Department. Um, you know, I remember I did see actually the um, sadly the murder of George Floyd. You know, and I echo the same things you're saying, um, similar to when we talk about gun violence, there's just some things in this country that just seem repetitive. Uh, And and the brutality from the police department, especially on 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 black bodies, um, is is ongoing. Uh, What's been interesting this time around has been a lot of folks on social media just saying outright, I'm not watching the video. And actually, this time, what's been different, too, is seeing a lot of people posting videos that talk about who this person was, who Tyree Nichols was. Um, I saw a video the other day of him being interviewed. Uh, in Sacramento, actually, he was uh, waiting online to to go, to, I think the DMV or something. And he just happened to be part of an interview and he was talking about you know waiting online and you know the long the length of it, like we've all done, you know, waiting at the DMV. And all you could see was just a human, just a person. Um, you know, fast forward to what happened, you know, January seventh. And what we're seeing is a person who's not treated like a human at that point. You know, since over the last couple of days, the unit, and I know, Mike, you'll probably go into further details on this too, but um, the unit of officers, what's referred to as Scorpion has been disbanded, you know, in Memphis, Um, you know, the family of Tyree Nichols is still reeling. Um, There's a lot of conversations in the community all over, not just in Memphis, but all over the country again, um, about what, what all this means. I'll tease this out here, but I think we'll talk about it a little further um just based on some something i read over the weekend but you know the other thing that also lost humanity for me not just the victim but the police officers too you know something that occurred to me as i was watching that video was and i don't know why it was this particular time but seeing you know officers of the law you know those who have chosen this profession to to serve and protect right in that moment lost their humanity and what I was struggling with this weekend is it's very easy to, to demonize the police department. And there's there's a fair conversation to be made about the origins of the police department and you know what what still is in place um, to to give officers of the law that level of authority. But at the same time, what I saw in that video was five gentlemen who just lost who they were. You know, we think oftentimes when we think of adults in their worst moment, that we think about, well, was this person always this way? You know, was this person always you know, a bad seed or whatever word you want to use? And we do all this because we don't want to examine, we don't want to think for a minute that this person's no different than us, that were we in the same situation, we'd have a different re- reaction. i like to think I would. If I were a police officer, I pray I would. Um, but five gentlemen, you know, in addition to taking the life ultimately of a citizen, lost who they were. And what I've been sitting with over this weekend is how do we get to a place where we develop a system of creating police officers that not all would engage in something like this, but that some do. And what is it about this role that produces this level of aggression and anger toward citizens? To look at Tyree Nichols as some as anything less than just a person in the neighborhood and to treat a person that way, is just baffling. And I'm just at a loss about what is it about this job that sometimes produces the worst in people? Not all, but something that just is brought upon them. Yeah. No,
2: I, I echo a lot of that. And you know, coming up in just a bit, like I mentioned, he's been on the program before Officer Benson. We're not using his real name, for different purposes here um, or a a variety of reasons as well, but uh, Prince George County detective up there in Maryland. um, He's been on the program before to talk about policing in America. um, This was back in 2020. um, If you remember why we had him on the show for that reason. Uh, But here we are yet again with something else. Um, It's a little bit different. This case, I want to take everybody into the timeline of events of the Tyree Nichols case get to some of the audio and get some of our reactions here. Um, If you're not familiar with what happened with respect to this, all of these things tend to happen over a couple of weeks, a month, as more and more clamoring for releasing body cam, any other videos that were recorded that night. There was a street lamp video that got a lot of this, you know, brutal, Um, this brutality, excuse me, on Tyree um, and how it looked from up above and only one officer had his body camera on. But let me give you the timeline of events that has sparked now state and federal investigations into these five officers and led to the murder and other charges. Uh, Tyree Nichols was pulled over by police for an alleged traffic violation after photographing a sunset. This is according to accounts that his family gave later on. This is all available on the Associated Press. Um, A confrontation ensued. None of that, at least from everything that I have seen, has been released video wise. I'm not sure if anybody was rolling dashboard cameras on on the vehicles or any body cam footage. All we've seen is the subsequent stuff. Confrontation ensues and he's brutally beaten by these five Memphis police officers in this encounter. Um, On January 8th, the next day, the Memphis police say in a statement, that officers attempted to stop a man for reckless driving on January 7th. He was taken to a hospital in critical condition after two confrontations. There is one point in the audio slash video um, that we're going to play here where he actually runs away, um, and they try to tase him. A chase down ensues, and they catch him on another block. Uh, The first description of what happened, this is all according to the Associated Press, says one confrontation occurred when officers approached the vehicle and the suspect fled on foot. Now you're going to hear a little bit of that confrontation. So they did have him almost, you know, kind of locked in or guarded in, and he was able to get away. And you're going to hear a lot of the reasons. I'll be honest, why he got away. It's a lot of conflicting messages from all of these officers, and uh, we're going to get to. Our police officer will be on the program in just a bit about some of that stuff, like what is being done wrong here? Um, The subject complained. officers pursued, excuse me, another confrontation, which is what the body cam video shows of these guys beating him, one officer coming over and just kicking him while he was down repeatedly. uh, The subject complained of shortness of breath. He was taken to the hospital due to his condition. Police contacted the Shelby County District Attorney General's office, which asked the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to conduct a use of force investigation. Then on January 10th, they announced the Bureau of Investigation that was conducting this stuff uh, that Tyree D. Nichols had succumbed to his injuries. I want to play for you real quick, by the way, uh, as part of this context, the chief of police there in Memphis, she said that she can't confirm this reckless driving charge. She said that on an interview on on CNN with Don Lemon. She was not able to confirm Uh, This is Memphis Police Chief Sarah Lynn Davis not able to confirm that that actually happened, reckless driving. I want you to listen, though, to what Tyree's mom said earlier in an interview with Don Lemon, who has been doing all these interviews down there. Um, And this is what she said the police told her about Tyree's arrest.
0: The Memphis Police Department banged on our door approximately around between 830 and nine o'clock asking if I knew Tyree Nichols. And we said, yes, what's going on? He's been arrested. Arrested for what? DUI, DUI? My son don't drink like that. What do you mean DUI? Well, we had to pepper spray him and tase him. So he's being attended to by the paramedics and we'll send him to the hospital. And then after that, he'll go to booking. What?
2: You can hear the surprise in her voice. And she's obviously taking counsel. Uh, attorney Ben Crump, you know who Ben Crump is. If you followed any of these cases, he's a civil rights attorney. He's not representing the Nichols family. On January 14th, so a few days after uh, Tyree's passing, family, friends, supporters, protested in front of the Memphis police station. They called for police to release the body cam video of this arrest. Police chief Sarah Lynn Davis uh, within 24 hours said she's reviewed the information on the encounter. She's decided to take immediate action by serving notice of policy violations to the officers involved. So they were all let go uh, over those days. Um, Civil rights attorney. I just mentioned a Ben Crump before on January 16th called on police to release the body camera and surveillance video from the traffic stop. Okay. Now, obviously everybody wanted to see, you know, how he got these injuries and ultimately succumbed so to them, but the civil rights, excuse me, the family attorney, Ben Crump mentions this, uh, I guess in the media or a press conference that he did that he's asking for police to release the entirety of the traffic stop and everything. Protesters gathered at the civil rights museum to push for the release on January 18th, the justice department announced that it opened its own investigation into this on January 20th, uh, the five officers, like I mentioned, In the arrest, um, they were all fired after an internal investigation. The five officers are Emmett Martin III, Justin Smith, Tadarius Bean, Desmond Mills Jr., and Demetrius Haley. All five of them are black, just like Tyree Nichols. Uh, On January 23rd, Nichols' family finally got to see the video that police were withholding from them. They saw it with Ben Crump and other attorneys that they have. Nichols was beaten for about three minutes in a savage encounter, pepper sprayed, restrained after he was pulled over minutes from his home. That's why he was running. He lived nearby in the neighborhood. Um, his body was dragged to the car itself that you can see towards the end of the video. On January 24th, Shelby County District Attorney Steve Mallor says the release of the police video will be carefully timed to avoid the chance that suspects or witnesses tailor their statements to what they saw in it and asked for the public for patience. There is video and audio. I'm not going to play it here, struggling to find it, uh, and our producers were as well. But of the officers and their exchange afterwards, talking about, you know, trying to pin this guy down. He's six three, six two, six three, 6'2, 6'3, 145 pounds. These five officers were all pretty big guys uh, with respect. I don't have their heights and weights in front of me, but again, A simple analogy for those of you that watch sports, a five-on-one break in basketball, the team's going to score. And a five-on-one in a fight, you're probably going to pick the five. Um, Don't understand why it was that hard to arrest one man. um, And you're going to listen to the... You know what? As a matter of fact, I want to freeze the timeline here for a second. I want to warn you all. This audio is very disturbing. The video is even worse. Take a listen to the body cam audio from when they first... Got Tyree Nichols. Damn, I didn't do anything. Hey, I didn't hurt your ass, bro. All right, all right, all right, all right. you don't do that, okay? Get on
0: the ground. Get on the
2: ground. Okay, I'm on the ground. Please on, on the, the ground! I'm going to you. Damn. Get on the ground!
3: One, okay. now. Alright, okay. Put your hands behind your, your, your back. Put your hands your back. Put. Put. Okay, on. Oh. I'm gonna knock Bro. your
4: ass.
2: To. You guys are really doing a lot right now. Stop. Bro, lay down. I'm are just you? trying to go home. Man, if you don't lay down, oh, I am on the ground. Put your hands on your back. stomach. I'm afraid. I got
3: Okay.
2: Up. I'm not doing it! Stay! shit! What? No! Oh. Shut the hey, You dude? the Hey! Give me your hand! Give me your hand. hand! You might get spray again! Hey! Hey, Mike! the first part of that audio that you heard there is after the stop and the subsequent getting out of the car you heard a couple of the mixed messages you heard tyree's voice saying you guys are doing a lot right now i'm on the ground i'm on the ground so for the comply audience out there he was already on the ground you hear a lot of mixed messages within that video we'll leave that to the police officer coming up in a bit to kind of dissect that but The second part, after you hear the taser fire midway through that clip, is when Tyree is running to another part of the neighborhood where they end up eventually tackling him and then beating him um, using the clubs, uh, a couple officers kicking him, another taser fired, and then obviously the dragging of his body, leaning it up against a car. Um, Again, that audio is really bad the video's way worse. It is really worse. And we should all, no matter what, it doesn't matter about politics, man. This is human life. We should all be appalled by listening to something like that or seeing something like that play out. One grill wrap on the uh, timeline. On January 27th, Memphis authorities released video footage showing Nichols beating By the five officers, Um, they finally released that on January 27th. So that was about a couple of days ago, depending upon when you're listening to this episode. And then protesters, obviously a bunch of demonstrations in Memphis, in New York, in Washington, D.C. Um, So about three weeks, maybe 20 days from when this all happened to the videos coming out, the officers being fired, bonded out of jail, the officers, not sure if all of them are out, but I know they're bonded out if they want to be, obviously, or if they can afford it. Bond for Haley and Martin was set at 350000 Bond for Bean, Mills, and Smith was set to $250,000. Um. All right, Nick, we're going to get into the unit that these cops were part of the Scorpion unit that launched in November of 2021 that you were talking about there. I've given the timeline here, the officers, the makeup of the officers, the traffic stop and the mixed messages, reckless driving, police chief can't find any corroborating evidence that supports Tyree being stopped for reckless driving. And then what they actually told his mother, that it was a DUI charge you heard the mixed messages on the audio. Give me some of your initial impressions of everything.
3: Yeah, you're hearing in, in in Tyree's voice. You're just hearing someone who doesn't understand what's going on, who thinks that they're following protocol, but they're also questioning it too. You know, throughout the clip, he's asking what he says, like you're doing too much, um, but he he also talks about complying as well. Like, what's weird to me is that the people there, the officers, who are supposed to be trained in handling a situation like this, where if in their mind they're dealing with a suspect, now obviously, you know, there's no, they're struggling with trying to find evidence that this person was guilty of reckless driving. But in that audio, what you're hearing is the calmest voice there is allegedly the suspect, And that's the part I'm not understanding. It's one thing in the midst of this, where if a weapon is brandished by the suspect, if, you know, in the process of all this, a gun pops out, like I could understand someone yelling gun and, you know, maybe some level of aggression comes, but none of that happens. It's just a guy saying, Hey, what's going on here? And then you've got all these officers just yelling at him. And what I don't understand is, like, where is that space for calmness? Like, isn't this part of your job to handle this professionally? And all I'm hearing is just compl- like people freaking out. And the calmest voice in the room is the person who's not trained to handle this. Uh,
2: boy, you know, we get paid to do a podcast, Nick, and talk about these things and and really examine them and, you know, kind of give our perspectives. Obviously, you and I work in different fields, neither of us are a police officer. Don't hit me with the being a police officer a tough job. It is a tough job. Nobody's arguing that it's not a tough job. And this Scorpion unit, by the way, which stands for, it's, a, it's an acronym, Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Does that sound like they restored peace in that neighborhood that day, Nick? There's a reason why this unit was permanently deactivated on Saturday, uh, a day after the city officials released the footage. Um, I, I'm at a loss for words, man. I'm really at a loss for words as more and more time has accumulated as I've been able to watch the video and the audio and see different legal experts, different police analysts. And we're going to have one coming up and we've got another one coming up later on in the week that's a former prosecutor. Um, I'm just taken aback by some of this because to echo again, I can't believe I'm saying this, to echo what Jim Jordan said, what laws will change that? What laws? What laws change the aggression, the ability to not command and control a suspect? There's five of you. It's an overwhelming of information. Get on the ground. Put your hands by your back. I'm going to tase you. I'm going to punch you. N-word. Like, how is somebody supposed to process all that? And on top of that, we understand that Tyree had a condition. So no drugs found on him. They're still doing autopsy and toxicology stuff. Nothing's going to be found on him because he didn't, he didn't have anything. His mom said he doesn't he doesn't drink or do drugs. Um, and here he is, a 29-year-old kid, and his life is cut short. I want to play real quick, Nick, before I know you wanted to jump in on one thing, but I wanted to play, I heard this the other day um, from Brittany Packett, Let me make sure I'm getting her name right. Um, She's an MSNBC contributor, Brittany Packett. She is an activist uh, and she's also an MSNBC analyst. And she's done a lot of work in the African-American communities after Ferguson, you know, looking at police reform. And she said something recently on Joy Reid's program that I wanted to bring over here because she was on a panel with two other law enforcement experts. And she quoted something from James Baldwin that's really impactful. Take a listen to this.
0: The fact of the matter is people want safety. People want us to invest our money in the things that truly keep us safe. And I'm sorry if we keep talking about training millions billions of dollars have been poured into training. And I say this as someone who used to advocate for these things, but I'm reminded of James Baldwin in this moment. How long do you want us to wait for your progress? Gentlemen, how long do you want us to wait for your progress? You are telling me that more training is the answer. There's been more training. There have been body cameras. There's been uh, recruitment. There's been additional diversity. There's been money and resources poured into all of these things instead of the things that we criminalize people for. Like Substance abuse, like mental health, like houselessness. How long do you want us to wait for your progress? Because right now, this is certainly not what the people want, and we're tired of continuously being told to wait in order to in order to achieve and experience the kind of personal safety and respect and dignity that we deserve.
2: I saw that clip on Twitter, and um, boy, she's right. She says a lot of things in there, and again, I mentioned her background. Somebody that used to advocate for, you know, uh, reforms to policing, but not defunding the police, right? Spending more in training, in hiring practices with respect to diversity. Um, She's right though. How long are we supposed to wait for your progress? Because, and just like we had Michael Eric Dyson once upon a time in 2020 to kind of recap uh, the George Floyd tragedy and his book, that was out back then, long time coming, a reckoning with race in America, that's an open letter to all of these folks that have died at the hands of police brutality. We sit here in January of 2023, a new year upon us, and another one has happened. Um, Quick takeaways on Brittany, and then I know you wanted to chime one other thing here before we toss to uh, Officer Benson, as he's going to join us here on the program just a bit.
3: Yeah, there's a few things I want to share here. Um, You know, first in terms of the idea of progress in training, um, you know there are currently seventeen thousand eight hundred ninety-five police agencies in the United States, Um, agencies, departments, precincts, whatever you want to call. So, you know, the first thing comes to mind is when we say training. Well, training by who? Do police precincts individually, and this is what we'll talk to to officer benson more about because i'm i'm just very curious about this you know for these almost 18,000 precincts do they all follow the same guidelines you know what's interesting is oftentimes we see soldiers you know those who serve in the military talk about the fundamental difference between the experience of of going through military training versus police training and one of the biggest differences is that in in police or you know in, in police work You have so many different places you could be working and the attitude and mentality of a particular precinct of the sheriff chief of police however dictates everything so while memphis the memphis police department it's i i don't know you know what the attitude and mentality is toward the community um but i don't think it's the same as it is say of the chief of police in orlando you know, as, as a person who, you know, focuses on education both personally and professionally, you know, we talk about this all the time. You know, there are thousands of school districts in the United States of America. So whenever you have a conversation about education, you know, it really is about an individual district and an individual state, like we're talking about often with Florida. So with police precincts, I'm very curious about, you know, whatever federal guidelines, because I heard the president talk about this too, of the need for you know, reform at a federal level. And my wondering is, what does this do? To the person who works the beat right their direct supervision is coming from their police chief so unless that person is trying to create a culture of people who actually serve the community as opposed to harm them does this lead anywhere the other thing that comes to mind too is um you know the clip you played the person talked about cost you know from the national police funding database you know from two 2021 um, of 167 publicly reported settlements, you know, with police departments and with the community, we're looking. The number was at 2.246 billion. That's with a B, folks. 2.246 billion dollars in settlements, and that's just from 167 publicly fu- publicly reported incidents. That comes out to 13.4 million per settlement. So when you think of the cost of this, also, it's not just the human cost. It's also the cost of the community because this money isn't coming from some kitty. It's not coming from some petty cash in a police department. This affects you as a taxpayer. Every time the police do do not do their job of protecting and serving, there's a cost to this as it is about to be seen by the Memphis Police Department. And if you are a person who backs the blue or believes in blue lives matter and all these things, prepare to get ready for your wall to get hit again. And I bring this up because this should not be about, we're talking about human lives. It's not the same as talking about dollars and cents. I bring this up because understand that the community pays for this in one form or another. Tyree Nichols's family loses their, a member of their family. But to the people of Memphis, you're all about to take a hit. That budget is going to look awfully different when there's a settlement that comes through. The last thing I'll bring up, um, I was talking earlier about you know, what goes into the mentality of someone who works in who works for a police department who engages in what we heard in that audio? And it brought me back to a a, a very important and well-known experiment for the nineteen sixty. This was conducted at Yale University. Um, some of you may be familiar with the Stanley Milgram experiment. If not, I'll quickly brief you all. So shortly before the Nuremberg trials um, or it was some trial involving uh, Nazis, you know, Stanley Milgram is an American psychologist who asked the question, well, what produces that in people to be willing to follow authority, that they would willingly harm others? So he conducted an experiment in Yale. And basically what happens is people are brought in, ordinary people, and they're paid money. And they're paid money to do one simple thing. They're in a room where across from them is another person sitting there. And they are paid to use an electric charge on that person. Now, a small volt of electricity is not going to harm someone. It's going to give them a mild shock. But throughout the experiment, the voltage keeps going up. And there's a person in the room who tells the people to press a button and say, increase the voltage. It got to a point where people got really uncomfortable. But shockingly, the majority of people continued to raise the voltage. And the point that, that the psychologist was trying to bring up is that in an environment where you are forced to listen to authority, forced to be forced to follow them, at least in your head, that the majority of people tend to do that. His findings were summarized. This is from what he wrote. The legal and philosophic aspects of obedience are of enormous importance, but they say very little about how most people behave in concrete situations. I set up a simple experiment at Yale University to test how much pain an ordinary citizen would inflict on another person. Simply because he was ordered to by an experimental scientist. Stark authority was pitted against the subject's participants' strongest moral imperatives against hurting others, and with the subject's ears ringing with the screams of the victims, authority won more often than not. The extreme willingness of adults to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority constitutes the chief finding of the study, and the fact most urgently demanding explanation. Ordinary people, simply doing their jobs, and without any particular hostility on their part, can become agents in a terrible, destructive process. Moreover, even when the destructive effects of their work become patently clear, and they are asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality, relatively few people have the resources needed to resist authority. Mike, I read that yesterday. I was preparing for this conversation and it's chilling to me because I thought about those five officers and the culture that a police department can bring upon people that in that moment, something comes from these gentlemen to think that you have to do this to this person and that all form of sense leaves your mind and that the only thing that comes to you is to threaten and to intimidate and to physically harm someone all because of a traffic stop no presence of a weapon this is not someone who fleeced people out of millions of dollars this is not someone who flew an airplane into a building this is just some guy in a car and suddenly five men lost all semblance of sanity and that experiment again conducted in the 1960s The findings are still relevant today when we think often about what goes into someone um, as part of police work. Not all, um, but for some, and, and that's what we saw play out, the feeling that I must exert authority on a citizen because it's my job. They must no longer be human or something worthy of dignity because I must inflict harm because that's what I think my job is supposed to be. And- how do you do that in a world where it's supposed to say to serve and protect on the outside of your vehicle is, is beyond me?
2: All right. With us, like we alluded to before, uh, Officer Benson over at the Maryland PG County office there. Um, Officer Benson, first of all, appreciate you hopping on the pod with us. I, I want to jump into this real quick because you were just listening to our segment, the sound that we were playing um, with respect to the body cam, Tyree's mom and what the police officers told him afterwards. We know about the timeline of events. This happened on January 7th. And then finally, after public pressure, the body cam footage comes out and the cameras in the subsequent areas across the traffic lights come out as well, uh, detailing everything that happened with this incident. I, I I wanted to have you on because obviously you're a police officer, but you're also a black male. Um, give me some of your takes, your impressions, the, your thought process right now as, as you saw these events unfold
4: uh yeah as we as we looked at the video and i read a couple of articles based on the whole situation um just purely on my observations alone uh it 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 was excessive at the point of the traffic stop itself as far as the uh, pulling out the car the several commands in which he was abiding by, by those commands and they kept repeating those commands and then uh the video footage itself where he's Uh to a certain extent, he's not really being combative physically. He's actually (laughs) listening to their commands and abiding by their uh commands and for them to essentially to a certain extent they were antagonistic with their actions.
3: Officer, in in your experience, um when you were listening, just when you're listening to you know those officers talking to and I hesitate to use the word suspect, and I guess that may be appropriate in this case of Uh what they thought. Um, What's your sense of that sense of alarm? Because something that Mike and I were talking about was, when you're listening to all the voices in that tape, the calmest voice seems to be that of the suspect, and and the, the voices of the most uncomfortable, most emotional here are the officers. And you would think that that may be, Juxtaposed in a typical situation. But what was your makeup just sort of the, just again, you're only basing this off of, you know, video, but then also a little bit of audio here of sort of the emotional makeup and like what's going through their minds? Like, were they following sort of st- like, were they interpreting this situation in a way that seems appropriate from a protocol standpoint? Or was there something going on that they just seemed either emotionally ill equipped or, or potentially mentally just not in a place where this type of work or this type of, um, component of law enforcement is, is what they're, what they're skilled at, or they develop proficiency toward.
4: So from my understanding, based on the initial traffic stop, I guess they observed him, um, driving recklessly going in and out of traffic at to which point he was going into oncoming traffic. So the frustrations, uh, if those observations were to be true, uh, the frustrations from the officer comes from the point of you're risking lives. By being behind the wheel, driving the way you're driving, I understand it to that extent as far as your frustration. But uh, from a previous pod, uh, once the frustration crosses over into aggression, any decisions made after that has real life consequences. In some case, unfortunately, in this case, it turned out to be fatal. Their frustration initially, when they pulled them over, try to get them out the car, was it unfounded? Like I said, operating within a context for if their observations were to be true, as far as him driving recklessly, to a certain extent, it wasn't unfounded. But uh, when you get to a certain point, whereas the person—well, I'll use the word suspect loosely, like you did—it uh, comes to a certain point where the person is actually, if they're uh, if they're listening, cooler cooler heads have to prevail in that specific circumstance because he's he's doing everything that you're telling him to do, okay. And then it's multiple officers, so. Um, the use of the Lethal, for example, like the pepper spray, eh. was it necessary in that moment in time when he was actually on the ground. I'm pretty sure defensive tactics, Uh, you use control holds. Uh, the weakest point of the arm is the elbow. You can manipulate the elbow just to try to get him under control. And like I said, cooler heads prevail, give it a more calmer, subtle voice. It has to be that one officer, the voice of reason, so to speak, that comes into play and be like, all right, let's relax hey, reason why we pulled you over. It didn't explain to after the fact, but yeah, they were, they were definitely got tunnel vision and they were emotionally charged to the point where uh, they couldn't make an, a reasonable decision. And the uh, the event itself just kept escalating after that.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the previous pod for, for people that are listening that don't know what that means. We had Officer Benson on a while back <clears throat> in 2020, obviously after everything that happened with George Floyd. To talk about, again, here we are again, three years later, something that was horrific with involving law enforcement captured on video and subsequently somebody dying from this. I, I want to ask you because you told us back in that episode about your record, right? Only at the time, only one use of force mm-hmm. in like eight or nine years. Now you've been mm-hmm. on the job a few more years, obviously. And I can't imagine that that's it, it, it increased as, as we've gotten to know you. But w- what needs to change? in your opinion, we, we, we played clips of uh, of an activist that used to uh, petition for more resources for police to have better training methods and diversity with respect to recruitment. You talked about this on the last time you were on, but like what needs to change? Cause now this is different than when we had you on. Those were white and an Asian officer. These are black officers. These are part of like some special tactical unit that's supposed to restore order in the neighborhood. I can't believe that that's part of the acronym of this unit. And they weren't restoring order. Like, what, what needs to change? Not necessarily just looking at this specific example, but in totality with respect to the de escalation methods that you mentioned. Like, how do you teach somebody to de escalate and not use excessive force on somebody who's 6'2 and 140 pounds, and you guys, there's five of you? How do you teach that?
4: Yeah, that's, that's actually a great question because. <laughs> If we all had the answer, we, we wouldn't be into in this predicament in the first place. But yeah, um essentially uh you can't you can't stress enough de-escalation. You have to allow a situation to de-escalate within itself. Okay. And you you have you have to uh when you go back to recruitment as far as backgrounds, things of that nature, any violent tendencies or violent histories with that person applying to be a police officer, take that in consideration. Um and just emotional IQ, you have you have to recognize where, to a certain extent, if a situation is under control. Which I feel like, uh, just based on the video observation of a uh, traffic stop, you you have enough officers to have that situation under control, whereas it doesn't have to escalate. You you just have to. Uh, that's a hard question as far as what needs to be changed. I feel like we've asked it so many times at nauseum, over and over and over again. Uh, just recruitment practices and i know every every year they go through a recertification i feel as if every department does this and you have to reiterate to these officers at unfortunately this turns into a training example we don't we don't like these real life training examples because somebody lost their lives at the end of the day you have to reiterate de-escalation there, there's no other way around it de-escalation you you just have to unfortunately sometimes uh, the older officers uh they may not understand as much as the newer officers, so to speak, but you have to emphasize de-escalation and in any way, shape or form, whatever you have to do to do that, it just has to be done.
3: Officer Benson, something Mike and I were also discussing is that currently there are approximately 18,000 police agencies in the U S precincts, you know, agencies, um, departments, you know, however, however you want to call it, you know, in a typical police precinct, what dictates um, sort of the the attitude, mindset, approach? Because you just mentioned about de escalation, uh-huh. and as you said, that is that something that's got to come from the chief of police. Uh, it, it's got to be a something that's sort of ingrained in the culture of a of a particular precinct, or is that something that's more executed sort of at a state level and and just all precincts within that state sort of follow along.
4: Usually within a culture, there's many factors within a culture as far as when it comes to policing. You could have a morale issue amongst a local police department. You could have a morale issue inside and out. The reason why I say inside and out, inside the the actual culture itself and then outside of unfortunate events and then you go out into the public. Some people, you know, some people make various comments and you try to bait you, things like that. So the morale overall within that department could be low. Officers not feeling appreciated. And... To a certain extent, they're all human. They try. You try to compartmentalize that as much as you possibly can. Some may leak through every now and then, but that's not an excuse to, unfortunately, uh, be in situations that we're in right now with the uh, Memphis Police Department. But, uh, yeah, culturally speaking, uh, we can't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know them intimately to actually comment on the culture itself. But from what I've noticed overall, there's so many factors as to why. This keeps happening. And I've noticed that usually morale is within a top two, maybe top three of that uh, t- situation.
3: One of the things that has come up over the past weekend is the, the bringing back the discussion of, of the George Floyd Policing Act uh, that had mm-hmm. passed the House back in 2021. Obviously, he's not gone to the Senate, nor has it been signed into law yet. In your experience, though, and assuming a bill like that passes, that's at the federal level. You know, as, as an officer of the law, what really dictates? I know we just talked about culture a minute ago, but if the federal government were to pass anything as it relates mm-hmm. to the George Floyd Act, and just for everyone who's listening to be clear, a couple of things that the act speaks to. One is lowers the criminal intent standard, you know, from willful to knowing or reckless to convict a law enforcement officer for misconduct uh, in a federal prosecution. Uh limits qualified immunity as a defense to liability and private civil action against a law enforcement officer. And lastly, grants administrative subpoena power to the DOJ, Department of Justice, in pattern or practice investigations. Officer Benson, if the federal government makes any headway with passing any type of federal guidance, does that play any role though to a local law enforcement officer?
4: It can to a certain extent, whereas if a uh, the 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 local beat the local patrol officer who actually uh it it would cause in hesitation as far as what am I doing? Am I doing what I'm doing? Is it ethically wrong? Is it morally wrong or lawfully? Is it wrong? It causes that, that split second of uh moment of thought to, whereas you don't find yourself in a situation like you do with the Memphis PD and the Trey Nichols. Uh, so to a certain extent, if the federally, if that bill is actually passed it, I'm hoping that it causes that hesitation amongst police officers, whereas they're not put, Putting themselves in situations that could turn out deadly.
2: Officer Benson, I want to ask you one more question before we let you go here. Appreciate you hopping on the pod with us. Um, I was reading an article a-, a while back about a few African-American officers throughout the country and talking about their shared experiences of working a community that potentially could be largely African-American, Hispanic. Um, and there was one officer, she was a retired LAPD, Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. We know what the LAPD has gone through over the last 40, 50 years. Um, But she was working as a patrol officer during the 92 LA riots when, you know, the four police officers beat Rodney King and all of the stuff that was caught on video. And as a cop during the protest, she was called a bunch of names by people of her own skin color. And she said in the article, I don't take it personally because they don't know Cheryl. They just know the uniform. For people that are parachuting in on this incident, what do you make of yourself as somebody who is a black man working as a police officer trying to serve your community? You've told me about this stuff off air and I want to bring it on here because you have a calming effect with respect to just your record overall, the ability to deescalate and converse with people. And like you said in that first episode, know that you're going to meet them at their worst. They called me for a reason because they need help in this situation, somebody called nine one one because they saw something or an officer maybe had been tailing and, and saw Tyree was acting a certain way. But how do you feel right now in this instance, being a, a black man and a police officer in America in specifically in your community.
4: Uh, it's one of those old adages of one step forward, two steps back type of situations. <laughs> so um, that was a great quote by her that retired sergeant. Cause yeah, I don't, even when I do encounter comments of to the to that nature, I don't take it personally, and I converse with people as if obviously they're educated, and as if that I've known them for a while, and that typically, for the most part, brings everybody's guard down. You're able to have a conversation. They may even ask me about certain situations, hence the the nickel situation. And once you br- once you uh, build that bridge between yourself and whoever you interact with just just make it make it a priority to just talk to people and then it comes down to just just talk to somebody as if you know them for a while ask a couple of questions we understand there may be some people who see the uniform and automatically affiliate you with the negative uh stereotype of policing i get that part and long time ago i i wasn't a police officer before this so i understand the other side of it so just just constant communication between, uh, that regular patrol officer and th- that person who you interact at their worst. Cause everybody's not going to know how to handle any situation when it's, uh, when it's going south. So uh, you as an officer, they're called like, like you said, in previous pod, if they're calling you for a reason, try to make it a point to just alleviate, just alleviate them and just re- just reassure them that, Hey, I'm honestly here to help. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm coming at you at the, uh, pretty at the moment of understanding i'm not judging i'm not i'm not playing judge and ruler i'm just coming at you from the pure aspect of understanding and so once you kind of once you come at as an officer i should say once you come at situations at that angle you tend to get more cooperation so you get more you get more flies with honey so to speak
2: well said Officer Benson, man, I wish you the best, buddy. Please stay safe out there. Thank you for hopping on the podcast with us. Truly appreciate
4: it. All right, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation.
2: Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri nick tell these people coffee snob it up here tell these people why fresh roasted coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of can we please
3: talk you know often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home and you need good quality coffee to do that and that's what fresh roasted coffee offers you know between single origin between blends flavors anything on the coffee spectrum they've got but more importantly and i can't stress this enough often when you purchase coffee you don't know where to start i mean there's so many different varieties so many different opportunities so many different things you could choose from and fresh Roast of coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says hey figure out what your cup what your coffee cup is figure out what blend works for you i've gotten some single o- origin recommendations so is mike and that's influenced everything and what they recommend you can get in a curate cup the way mike takes it you can take it in the way i do it which is typically through a french press. Or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at
2: freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee. But you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code Can We Get 20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right. The second shocking video of the weekend was from a story that happened back on October 28th, if you're not familiar, with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, being attacked with a hammer in his home in the early morning in their San Francisco residence Uh, by a suspect named David DePape, who had been arrested. The body cam video of the break-in into the house by David Pape, And then the subsequent 911 calls um, and the police showing up to the residence, body camera turned on. The door opens up with Paul Pelosi standing there. You know, he had been very... Uh, understanding of this guy's mental fragility for lack of a better term and was being very uh, coy with respect to uh, what he was saying on the phone with the police department after he had told the suspect he need to use the bathroom where he actually been having his phone charging in the bathroom so he was able to call from in there when the police showed up um, the hammer was in the suspect's uh, right hand um, he says to tell them that everything is okay and Uh, that's when the police are like, what are you doing? And then he swings on Paul Pelosi, striking him in the head, quickly falls to the ground, and the police, within seconds, uh, tackle this guy and get him on the ground, the hammer away from him. Um, The paper's been charged. But the reason I'm bringing this stuff up because there was so much misinformation and disinformation and innuendo and speculation about this case. Even I was on a panel talking about this case on MSNBC with respect to why we're not um, talking about violence against sitting members of Congress and their families and just condemning it across the board. Doesn't matter if it's Marjorie Taylor Greene that gets attacked tomorrow. We should be condemning violence that happens to her and her family, um, no matter how you feel about her. And that's tough for me to say, but no matter how you feel about her, you should be condemning the violence. I want to play some of that vitriol and some of those mixed messages. From back in October, of people making the speculations. If you are somebody who comes home after a hard day's work and you set the TV up, you're going to get ready to put the kids down if you have kids, and you are at 7 p.m. putting on Jesse Waters, this is what you might have heard.
1: CNN reports he was homeless, sleeping in a storage shed, and addicted to narcotics. A few former acquaintances told CNN he was out of touch with reality. So in summary, he was a mentally ill, homeless, nudist, illegal alien ex-con druggy who should have been deported. What happens in these types of cases usually is that when the smoke clears, some of the initial reporting is wrong, which is why we're telling you what news organization is reporting what, because that could change by tomorrow. The Pelosi family is not talking aside from the statements that they've released, and San Francisco officials are not leaking to Fox News, just about everybody else, it seems like. But like clockwork, the media is reporting that this is January 6th on the West Coast.
0: This is part of the January 6th insurrection toxicity that has infected
1: the, the brains of people around the country. So the nude, homeless Canadian drug addict with a rap sheet a mile long who makes hemp bracelets in Berkeley is a January 6er. I think we may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. The Democrats and the media have been ignoring the crime wave and only cover it when Nancy Pelosi's husband's attacked. Where has the media and the Democrats been while thousands of Americans have been attacked? People are being hit with hammers every day.
2: People are getting attacked with hammers every day, Nick. I just learned something new here from uh, Jesse Waters. Um, Now, there was another clip that came out recently of Sean Hannity on his 9 p.m. programming, on his 9 p.m. program, excuse me, interviewing a, a former defense attorney. They were talking about the particulars of this case as the body cam footage was being released because um, some of the news agencies were rec- re- requesting that this body cam footage be released uh, and, it, and multiple news organizations, including ABC News, filed a court motion arguing that the footage should be made available to the public after it was presented as evidence in the court. Okay, so that's why these this video stuff came out. So this was before the video exchange came out, again, of the paper breaking into the house and then of the exchange with police officers. This is what Hannity said on his program just before all of that happened as he was interviewing this former defense attorney.
1: Look, if somebody is a victim and they have an intruder in their house, my first instinct is gonna be try to get to 911. If I can't, I'm gonna be in the business of protecting my home, myself, my family. Uh, Now, if you get to make the phone call, which apparently, which we know he did, and then the police show up, it doesn't seem like a natural reaction to say, oh, come on in, guys, casually, and then the attack according to reports, came in front of the police officers when he, you know, threw the hammer in the back of this guy's skull and nearly killed him. So that does not seem like normal behavior to me. If you have an intruder in your house, the cops show up, you run out the door and tell him he's in there, and the cops go in and do their job. Does that seem normal to you?
3: What bothers so, me? Well, go we're blaming the victim. That's what we're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: let's do one at a time here. I mean, listen, this is why we pulled this type of stuff, because um, obviously, Paul Pelosi is on the road to recovery, and this suspect has been arrested, obviously, and he's awaiting his his court trial dates. uh, He has pled not guilty. He faces federal charges of assault and attempted kidnapping. He's also got a slew of state charges in California, including attempted murder, residential burglary and assault with a deadly weapon. My issue is real simple, real simple, not R and D, not again, not R and D forget that it was the former speaker of the house. This is an 82 year old man that we're doing conspiracy theories about he was dating this guy. It was a, a disgruntled ex lover that was making the rounds within the echo chamber and the right wing media ecosystem. And then you hear, you hear the tone. if you're watching on TV, you see the infliction of Jesse Waters and the arrogance around which he is commentating on this. He's not a journalist. He's not even a host. He's an opinion commentator at 7 p.m. My issue is not so much with all the conspiracies. My issue is that people listen to that and say, yeah, that's right. If you are not listening, if you, excuse me, if you are listening to Sean Hannity and Jesse Waters. And it's not for comedic relief. Why are you watching those programs? I'm infuriated by the people that listen and gobble up this stuff. You know who I'm talking to for people that listen to this program. And if you're one of these people that watch Newsmax and OAN and live in this ethos, I'm not telling you to listen to watch MSNBC and CNN. I'm not telling you to watch those. I've been saying it for forever diversify your news sources, take a series of commonalities and facts in articles written by journalists. Even if you have a host or an expert or somebody that's covering it, that's a correspondent on the programs, and you heard something from that segment, carry that over with you as you verify it. That's the way you should do it. This nonsensical train of thought of just watching these folks like Sean Hannity and Jesse Waters with this smug arrogance of two people who are not believing what they're telling you i'm i'm listen to me people i used to work there these people are not like that they're not like that nick you and i have been told a bunch of times we could make so much money being two minorities go get the maga hats put them on you and i right now this thing will get millions of downloads we won't have to work or worry about day jobs anymore I can't do that. Do we agree with everything that is happening with respect to what left and progressives really want to do with this country?
3: To some extent, maybe.
2: To some extent, maybe not. Do we agree with everything that the far right wants to do in this country? Obviously not. They don't want us here. But there's that common middle ground. And we have to get back to listening to experts and people that are sincere and not disingenuous. If you tell me, Mike. I watch Jesse Waters for levity. I watch Tucker Carlson for levity. That's fine. That's what their lawyers argue in court. If you tell me you watch those for news, I question your judgment. And I'm telling you, everybody associated with you should be questioning your judgment as to why you are listening to that type of programming. And I say this as somebody who worked on those shows from 8 to 11 p.m. on that network. All right, I turn it over to you now because... Clearly I'm upset, but I'm, I'm upset again at the way we don't, we, we're just lazy in terms of our search habits. I just had this today and maybe that's why it's carrying over. I had this today with my father-in-law where I was explaining to him something and he's like, no, I'm going to find you the article. He finds me the article, something about Kevin McCarthy. And it's not what he told me. It's Kevin McCarthy saying, I want to do this. There's no policy behind it. There's no metrics behind it. There's nothing else behind it. And then I show him an article with an explainer on what it is they want to do And it was related to social security and Medicare. I don't understand why people are so lazy in terms of their search habits to search out information from verified sources. You don't have to come to us as your only news source. You should be using us As part of the rotation of content, programming, articles, and take these facts and commonalities into your everyday discussions. I'm I'm sick of the people that are watching some of this stuff and allowing it to continue to permeate into them. And then I see the stupid post on Instagram because it's led to separations with people in my family. And, and, And so it's personal for me now. But when you see something like this be trivialized, right? Ah, and then I don't even know what the conspiracy uh, conjugation of this verb would be. But when you see it put into a conspiracy theory that he's dating this guy and things like that, we just can't condemn violence and wait for the facts to come out. Now the facts come out There's video and this network is still putting up people that are saying, well, what about the Department of Justice? And they're, what are you talking about? There's a literal video right now. You're watching the guy break in and hit him in the head with a hammer. What more do you want? I turn to you, Nick.
3: You know. I I think there's a certain level of it's not naivete for you and I, Um, you know, we're passionate about this because I mean, first and foremost, we are proponents of, of sound journalism. Um, You know, it's something that we were passionate about when we were both in college. It's our biggest why for doing this show. So we, we pay attention to this stuff. Um, Speaking for myself, you know, maybe for you as well, I mean, as a parent, um, you know, we're passionate about making sure our, our children understand the difference between, you know, just fallacy and reality. Um, you know, as an educator, I hope for that for every student. Um, you know, but unfortunately, many Americans, um, you know, when they get home at night, you know, they just want to watch television. They're not looking for accuracy. They're looking for comfort. And what Fox figured out since the 90s was that there's a very powerful narrative that you can sell people on about this country is being taken from you. Um, and there's a, a, a need to spark anger. They're not the only network that does it, but they are perhaps the most dangerous at it. You know, the funny thing, as you were talking about Fox, You know, I think it's very easy for all of us to say, well, all of, you know, Fox News is problematic, which is not true because we've had people from the network on this show, like Marie Harf. But I also realized, too, as you were talking about that, I thought about some of the articles I read from Fox around the 2020 election, because you you've brought up a good point that Fox's election coverage is pretty dead on when they make when they say a state has gone to a candidate. You can bank on that. Best election desk in the business. And I remember reading you know, some of the articles from Fox's, you know, from Fox's website. And even if it wasn't election coverage, even if it was about something like Paul Pelosi, it doesn't spark from me this simplistic animalistic reaction that Jesse, Sean, and many others are trying to engender. You know, they know they have a captive audience that they can say whatever the hell they want and people are going to listen. And the reality is, if you get people even that angrier, they'll listen more. And that's what I mean. I always use the example of Howard Stern for this. You know, you always bring up a very important point, and I, I don't, and it can't be echoed enough that these people don't believe what they're saying. And I always use the example of Tucker Carlson when he was at CNN, you know, on Crossfire. That's not the same dude, but these folks are pot committed. You have to keep saying, this you have to keep bringing this foolishness into this you know when the Pelosi when the Paul Pelosi video came out there was a clip actually I think the other day I just saw you know on Fox you know a commentator came on just rambling about how we don't know this information why did this all happen and to the anchor's credit they're saying look sir we have video we see the guy with the hammer you know just completely refuted what this person on the show was talking about. And you could see the person was apoplectic, like it just didn't have a response because they were confronted with the truth, Mike. It's what we do on this show. It is not about Republicans and Democrats. It's about fact and fiction. All we knew about Paul Pelosi on the night of the attack was that a person had entered his home, a call was put out to the police department, and that he was hit with a hammer by a man. That's all we knew everything I just said, those four bits of details are irrefutable. But what happens in the 24-7 news cycle, what happens in televised televised news, it's that you got to see something. And if you are at Fox and we're talking about the husband of Nancy Pelosi, then the spin on this is not going to be in favor of that person. Never forget, That when Brett Kavanaugh also had someone approach him by his home, no physical contact. Notice the difference in tone from these folks. It was suddenly about this is a threat. There's got to be security here. What's going on? The left is out of control. It was, it becomes, you know, and, and I caught myself getting angry as you were talking. But the reality is, there's no reason to be angry. It's just, it's the machine this is what's expected. We use the analogy on this show of professional wrestling, and it's absolutely true that this is not about fact. This is not about fact and fiction. This is about what keeps people riveted. But this is what they'll do. you know, Folks like Jesse and Sean and Tucker, and and it is comedic. And what I would offer to anyone is, and you all know, I do have a bias against television news. I'm not I'm not going to hide behind that. I do think we'd all be better if we read a lot more than watch television. Um, And what you have to remember about these three people that Mike's been talking about, they're not reporters. Mike, this past week, CNN had some of the worst ratings it's had in a long time. And now you can argue, is it because they've tried to dial down their political leanings and they've lost their audience for it? I don't know. But Fox's numbers keep gaining. And they've got their competitors, Newsmax and OAN are still at their heels. You have a group of people in this country that they're just they're they're just for the show of it. You know, it's Vince McMahon behind a news desk. Listen, and that's yeah, and that's that's why you have to read more. That's why you've got to differentiate your sources. Listen, I I, I only
2: come at this from an informed perspective because I was in the building. We've had a bunch of Fox people on this show. I've told you before the the, the separate. Um, lies between news division and opinion division. The problem is the general public doesn't know that separation, right? Well, we've had Trey Yinkst on the show, friend of the program. Marie Harf is a contributor. Mike Emanuel hosts a prominent show on Sundays at one o'clock there. And he's also done Fox News Sunday. Um, And we've had other folks. Leslie Marshall is a contributor there. We've got other folks that are going to be coming on from that network. It's a legitimate news network. My issue is there are certain pieces of content and programming there that perform really well and they're theatrical. And I say this as somebody who literally was in MPS building a rundown. If you don't know what that sentence means, you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And that's my issue. My issue is you know, when I used to build programming around some of this stuff with nightly news cut-ins and what stories to put out there for the American public to view that commentators were gonna speak on, write scripts for them, hand it to them so that they would give people the news of the day. I knew what I was doing. It was genuine. This is a story. This car chase and blah, 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 this just happened. What these folks are doing is disingenuous. It's incredibly disingenuous. And don't listen to me if you don't trust my opinion of only being there for two and a half years. Listen to the court proceedings. And what the Fox News lawyers have argued in the court of law about these shows and this type of programming. We leave it there. Our, our thank yous to Officer Benson for coming on the program and talking about the Tyree Nichols case. Um, you can check out the video portion of that interview over on YouTube. Type in, can we please talk podcast? Subscribe to the show over on YouTube. Speaking of subscribe, if you're not a subscriber, hit the follow subscribe button for us on the audio podcast platforms that we're available on Apple, Spotify. Google good pods. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. And follow us on Braid. If you want to get more exclusive content from all the guests we've had on this program, some after the talk segments that Nick and I do, download the Braid social media app, B-R-A-I-D in the app store. We have partners with these folks to create more content over on their platform. So check us out over on Braid. I can't thank each and every one of you for listening to this program. If you turn to us for news commentary, add it into your rotation. I will say that till the day this show ends. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you next time.